0: to be out here with you this morning for the first message in our Christmas series look at your neighbor and say it's going to be okay just okay though let's not set the bar too high <laughs> if hey listen real quick I, I'm Pastor Tim if you don't know me I'm Pastor Tim I'm, I'm uh, one of the pastors here on staff I get to work with the youth and uh, I love it they're way cooler than you are but you already knew that um <laughs> They're cooler than me, too. They tell me all the time I'm getting old. But uh, if you're new to this church and you've just seen enough already that you're like, this needs to be my church. Like, this is my people. This is where I belong. Then we have, a, we have a small little class happening right after service today. It's called Next Steps. And if you've been coming and you like what you're seeing and you feel this is where the Lord is drawing you, then Next Steps is your next step in that process. That's your way of saying this is gonna be my church and you are gonna be my people and we're gonna do this together. So if you're new to the church and you wanna officially say this is my church, next steps is where you need to go. We have food, we have childcare, Please don't just use it for free babysitting. Don't drop those babies off and then run out, you know, and go get a date or nothing. But if you want to join the church today and say, this is my church, then you can do that. All you have to do is go right out to the lobby, the welcome center, and just say, I want to go to Next Steps. And they will get you taken care of, and you can make this your home, and we would love for you to do that. Amen? Amen. 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 I love it. Would you close your eyes? I want you to just close your eyes, and I want you to just imagine with me for a moment. I want you to imagine little baby Jesus in that manger. Just keep it, don't look around. I want you to picture it in your mind. That blessed night that our Savior entered the world. I want you to see that baby in the manger. And as you think about that baby, what thoughts come to your mind? Maybe thoughts like the Savior, Messiah, Emmanuel, good news that brings great joy. Maybe as you focus and you think about a baby in a manger, you think of how innocent, how vulnerable. If you're a parent already and you've brought your own children into this world, maybe as you think about Jesus in the manger, you're thinking about how wrong the circumstances are. I wouldn't want that for my child to be born in what amounts to a barn with stinky and dirty animals, where it's cold and damp and musty. I wouldn't want that for my own child, and yet that's the way that God himself chose to enter into the human story. It doesn't make sense. The birth of Jesus, you can open your eyes, the birth of Jesus is an amazing story, and it is super weird. Because when you stop and you just, this is not the way that God should enter the world. Nothing about this makes sense in my mind. It feels wrong that this is the way the Savior enters into humanity. And the question we are going to be asking ourselves over the next three weeks is is this, is how do you see the Savior? Because the way that you see the Savior will play a massive role in how you respond to him. The way you see him will have a massive role in how you respond to him. Now, for example, if when you closed your eyes and you pictured baby Jesus, if you just see sweet, innocent, little baby Jesus, and that's all you see, Christmas can come and go pretty easy for you. Right? It's just a little baby. He, you know, might coo and the little coo, you know, like little babies do. You might cry a little bit, and if you're not into the baby stage and you're not into crying, you might want to leave baby Jesus pretty quick. He pooped his diaper or loincloth or whatever it was. Like he was a baby, right? And if that's all you see in the manger, you can move past the story pretty quick with just a sweet little, oh, that's so precious. But is that what we should see? The gospel authors in the Bible, they repeatedly show us through their stories what other people saw when they looked at Jesus. And then the gospel authors, they invite us to see Jesus for who he claimed to be, and then they present to us what Jesus did, what he actually did with his life, and how it lines up with scripture, with the Old Testament, how Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies, right? They're inviting us into this story to see the Savior, Today I want to start by letting you know about one man who saw the Savior and his rise to power in Israel and just how he thought of the Savior when he heard of his birth. The man's name is King Herod, known as Herod the Great. And I need to give you a little context to Herod's story so that what we actually read in Scripture will make sense. Herod did not ascend to the throne of Israel by lineage. He wasn't a descendant of David no, Herod came to power through political uh, partnership with Rome. Roughly 40 years before Jesus is born, Rome is doing their thing and they want to put somebody in a power position in Israel because even though they don't really like Israel, they want Israel for its uh, you know, strategic location gives them access to other places, Egypt and things like that. And so they want to hold over it, but they don't really want to be there. Israel was not like your top choice if you were in the Roman military about where you wanted to be positioned. So they appoint Herod as the king. But there's a problem. Herod knows that there's already a king in Israel. In fact, there was what they call, and if you can say these words better than me, God bless you. uh, The Hasmonean Dynasty has been ruling in Israel. They've been ruling for roughly 100 years and they're in power. Like they have a king on the throne. His name is Ant- Antigonus. Say that five times fast, it'll get you. There's already a king on the throne. And Rome says, we don't want that king. We want a different king because this king, he joined forces with us. He likes us. And so they put Herod the Great in. And they go into a war from the year 40 B.C. before Christ to 37. There is a war between these two two people. Herod comes to power through violence, through war, through bloodshed. And once he attains this power, Herod will stop at nothing to preserve it. Herod had a mixed legacy in Israel. As the king over the Jews, Herod did some really good stuff. Like Herod actually restored the temple. And everybody's like, yay! Herod also had many, 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 many terrible things. Like for example, Herod had his own wife murdered and three of his sons because he was paranoid and thought that they were going to try to overthrow him. This is part of the Christmas story, by the way. How joyous. So Herod's in power, and what we know from history is that, by the way, you won't read that part in your Bible. You just got to go study Israel history to get this stuff. But Herod's in power, and he's willing to do anything to save his power. Maybe some of you here know what that's like. Maybe some of you dads. I mean, how many of you dads have ever looked your kids in the eye and said, I'm the man of this house? And as long as I'm the man in this house and you're living in this house, you're going to follow my rules. You got it, son? You got it? It's okay. Don't raise your hand. But you know what I'm talking about. But this is Herod to the extreme. He'll murder his kid if he thinks his kid's out of line, right? This is extreme. Which brings us to Matthew chapter 2 in this really crazy story. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're just going to read all of Herod's story. But as we read it, I want you to just pay attention. How do you think Herod sees the Savior? Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born, King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. And we have come to worship him. Now, I just want to point some, I'm going to point some theological things out to you as we read this story because I find them fascinating. Right out of the gate here, we find out that Jesus is going to be more than just the king of the Jews. Why? Because magi from the east came, these are not Israelites. These are dudes from a foreign land who are pagan astrologers, but they study the stars and they go, that's a new star. And apparently they knew the prophecies. And so they knew when that star showed up, there was a new king of the Jews born. And so people from outside of Israel, this is so important to just watch what the authors do here. So people from outside of Israel can see what's happening, right? So they come and they ask, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. He doesn't see no cute little baby in a manger, he's disturbed. But look at this, and all Jerusalem with him. I never noticed that part before. That all Jerusalem with him was disturbed at the announcement of a new king of the Jews. And I wonder why, if we remember, how did Herod come to power? Through bloodshed and war and political alignments and people died and it's not good. Oh, by the way, if you read through the kingship of Israel, you're going to find out that most of the time when a new king came into power, it wasn't good for anyone. And Jerusalem was like the capital of Israel. It's the focal point of their history. And you just go read the stories, man. Whenever somebody else comes to power, it's often not a good story. In fact, in Israel's, Israel's history is recorded in the scriptures, There are 31 kings that rule over Israel. There are three kings that rule over Israel when they're a united kingdom. And out of the three, two of them, according to scripture, say they were not good in the eyes of the Lord. Then there are 19 kings as the nation divides into two. There's the nation of Israel, which is 11 of the tribes, and then the nation of Judah, which is the tribe of Judah. That's the line Jesus comes from. Hallelujah. They get split. And then each one of those nations has 19 kings, respectively. Every single one of Israel's is evil to a varying degree. Some of them are just kind of evil, and some of them are super, super evil. And then you go to Judah's side. This is the line that King Jesus will come from. And what do you find there? Well, they had 19 kings as well, as recorded in Scripture, and only eight of them were good in the eyes of the Lord. This ain't looking good for Jerusalem if a new king's coming to power. They know enough of their history to say, here we go again. And so when Herod hears of a new king, he's disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Now, let's just stop right here and focus on Messiah for a second. The magi from the east came and said, hey, there's a new king, but Herod says, where's the Messiah? And there's a difference here, because the Messiah is the anointed king. In other words, the Messiah is the one that God would choose, not the one that Rome would choose. So these wise men, they just saw the star and they went, there's a new king coming. But Herod knew, oh, it's not just a king. This one's God's chosen king, which ups the ante. Right? You guys seeing this? So he calls him. Where is he going to be? Verse 5. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so Herod called the magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, and on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Let's just pause to reflect for a moment that the first people that this story says came and worshipped Jesus wasn't the nation of Israel. Isn't that mind-boggling? Like, what is happening right now? The people who should be there, who should be celebrating the most, aren't there. It's these pagan people who are showing up worship. What's happening right now is we're being told Jesus is more than what meets the eye. He's not just the king of the Jews. Something more is happening here. for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Okay. So what does Herod see when he sees the Savior? all he sees is a threat all he sees is a threat Herod is so disturbed at the news that there's a new king that he's willing just imagine this is the story of the good news that brings great joy and in the midst of in the midst of Luke's gospel saying it's, the shepherds are celebrating and a heavenly host appears in the midst of that what is Herod doing he's planning an assassination And when he gets outwitted and outsmarted, Herod is not going down without a fight. So he says, I'll tell you what, go kill everyone that's two years old and younger. Do you see how desperate he is to hold on to his power and his position and his influence and his wealth? He's not going to just give it up without a fight. When Herod looks at Jesus, all he sees is a threat because he knew something. He knew that it wasn't just a baby in a manger, he knew that was a king in a cradle. Here's not gonna go down without a fight, I wonder why. I mean, he had to fight to get what he had. He had to make strategic alliances to boost his position, right? He was so willing to murder his own family to hold that power, what's the little baby gonna do? That innocent, vulnerable little baby What chance did it have against such a great king? But can we stop to just reflect for a moment on the type of king that Herod is? Because this is a message for another day in another series, but Jesus is a king not like Herod. Herod is a king. He's a king of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people who are supposed to be the ambassadors and representatives of who God is and what God is like. And the king is at the forefront of that. When you read through Israel's history, you're going to see that Israel often followed its king. If the king was a good king, reform came to Israel, and they started to follow the ways of God again. If the king was evil, guess what? Israel just went right down the tubes. What kind of king do we have on the throne right now? And what does that say for the nation of Israel? See, if we've tracked with the story, what you know at this point in history is that Israel needs an entirely different kind of king. They need an entirely different one. They need one who's not willing to murder babies to save his own power. You with me? This story is so fascinating because in the heart of this story what we should be seeing is ourselves what we should be seeing is I am Herod because how many times have I looked at the Savior and saw a threat a threat maybe to my finances a threat maybe to my pride a threat maybe to my parenting a threat maybe to my marriage what do you mean? I'm supposed to love her like i like Jesus loves the church? What are you talking? Jesus, if Jesus is truly the King that we've been waiting for, if He really is the Messiah, then Jesus is a threat to all of us. And here's what I love about Jesus: is He's not even coy about it. He's not. He's not shy about it. He comes right out and says it. He, Jesus will say things like this. In, uh, let me find it in my, in my notes here. Where did I put that? Matthew, uh, or sorry, I'm going Luke's gospel, chapter 9, verse 23 through 25. You've heard it before. Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. They, they would have understood that to mean go die. That it's not, It wasn't a nice cliche to them. They understood what a cross was. Jesus saying, if you want to be my follower, you've got to deny yourself and go die daily to follow me. But look at what he said. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? If Jesus is king, then Jesus is a threat to all of us. Because Jesus is going to show up and he's going he's to explain to us again what it means to be human and to live for God. And it's going to be shocking and it's going to throw us off. And it's going to come into confrontation with what power and influence and wealth and position that we think we've established for ourselves in the world. He's going to come and challenge all of it. Why? Herod knew it and we know it. There can only be one king. There can only be one. And if he's truly king, then I am not. If he's truly king, then you are not. If he's truly king, then Herod is not. Because we believe there's only one king. So what's this new king do? This new king shows up and he's going to get right to business. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus starts off with things like this. Blessed are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the insulted and the ridiculed. And we're like, whoa, what, what, what kind of, hold up. What kind of kingdom is this, man? Herod's not merciful. Herod rules with an iron fist, man. Herod will take you out even if you're his own wife if he thinks you're going to cross him. That's not mercy. That's not hungering. That is not what the kings look like. What is Jesus talking about? In Matthew 5, 21 through 26, Jesus as king tells us to be reconcilers instead of anger-filled vengeance seekers. And nobody wants anything to do with that. What do you mean if they wronged me, I'm just supposed to go and try to make it right with them? No, God crush my enemies. But see, a king has spoken. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 27 through 30, to not even allow our thought life to violate someone else's purity. Jesus is going to get in our business so much that he says, I don't care what your actions are. I care more about what you're thinking about doing. That's how involved I am in your business, that I'm going to get to the thought level of your heart. Good job for not sleeping with that dude's wife. Control your mind, son. And if he's king, he has the right to do that. In Matthew 5, 38 through 42, Jesus tells us to be losers. And everybody said, amen. That's what I was hoping for, King Jesus, that you would just, seriously, he says, hey, if somebody comes and slaps you on the right cheek, just turn to him the other also. Hey, if somebody tries to sue you and take your stuff, give them more stuff. Don't even just give them what they're suing you for, give them more than that. We're like, what kind of king is this? I don't like this king very much. In Matthew 5, 43 through 48, Jesus would go on to say, hey, love others even when that person is your enemy. And all of Israel went, hold up, we've had a lot of enemies. And they were cruel and violent. And they killed our children. And they've murdered our sons and our daughters. And they've They've taken us into exile, and you want us to do what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they ask you to go one mile, go with them too. What kind of king is this? Let me show you another example. In Matthew 6, 19 through 20, Jesus says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Okay? You've heard this verse many times. Now, here's the question. Is Jesus just offering us some sage advice about how to live the good life? Is is Jesus as king just saying, here's a great platitude. Don't be so concerned with Or is Jesus as king saying, this is the way we're living life now? See, who do you see in that manger? Because if all you see is a cute little baby, then you can read this stuff and just go, oh, what a nice little baby. But if he's king, he's not asking you, he's telling you. He's not asking me to, hey, don't store up treasures on earth, but store it up in heaven. He's not asking me. He's telling me, Tim, if you're going to be in my kingdom, this is the way we operate. Oh, man, now that's different. I'm starting to feel a little like Herod right now. Jesus, you're telling me that all the stuff I've worked for, the stuff I've sacrificed for, you're telling me that I'm just supposed to give it up? Well, in Matthew 19... Verse 16 through 22, we read this story. It says that just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? This man wants to know how to make it. Jesus says, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. He says, If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired, and Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Here's something amazing to me, is that the young man said, I've kept the law. What am I still missing, though? It's like he knew inside of him that even though, according to this story, he was executing faithfully the law of God in the Old Testament. He said, I've done all that. But yet in his heart, he knew something was still not right. And so Jesus' response to that is this. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now let's just reflect for a moment. Then in the Sermon on the Mount, this is how Jesus teaches us to live. He says, don't store up for yourself treasure on, on earth where moth and vermin and thieves come in and destroy it and take it. No, store up treasure in heaven where nothing bad can, can get to it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Oh. And now we come to the story of this man who who says, I've fulfilled the law. I've done all the right things, yet something's still not right. I I haven't achieved this yet. What am I missing, Jesus? And Jesus' response is, ultimately, surrender. Oh, you'll follow the law, but you won't surrender. Do you see that? See, Jesus, and here's something else amazing. Is that when you read that story, you'll find out that Jesus has compassion on this man. He's heartbroken over this man's desire to keep his wealth and not submit to Jesus. And Jesus is king. But Jesus isn't a king like Herod. Because Herod, as king, could have showed up and said, young man, give me all your money. And that man would have had to comply Because if he wouldn't have, guess what? Herod would have been like, well, I killed my own wife, dude. you think you're going to be any better? Murder this fool. See, what kind of king is Jesus going to be? That's a message for a different day in a different series. But Jesus' heart is broken when the man walks away and Jesus doesn't force him to surrender. Jesus is an entirely different kind of king. Church, listen to me. Jesus is the kind of king that instead of being like Herod who will kill his enemies, Jesus would rather let his enemies kill him. What kind of king is that? I'll tell you what kind of king it is. It's a good one. And a king who's willing to let himself be murdered by his enemies instead of murdering them, that's one powerful king. That's a king who's strong enough to raise himself from the dead. What kind of king is this who actually has, as, as the gospels tell us, he has all authority. Not a single one of us in this room could stand in his presence without being compelled to fall to our knees not because somebody comes out and kicks our legs out from behind us, but when we see him face to face, our only response in that moment in his majesty and his glory will be to bow down and acknowledge that he is the one, that no one else has the authority that he has. But yet when he walked this earth, Jesus did not command our obedience. He gave us a choice. And the choice looked like this. If you're willing to lose your life for me, You'll find everything you were ever looking for. That's the kind of king that he is. But church, what do you see when you see the baby in the manger? Because I'm telling you that if you refuse to see him as king, you're not going to surrender to him. And you'll go just like Herod. You'll go in your pride and in your own self-accomplishments and in your own wisdom. And you'll try to do it without him. Herod's story doesn't end well. And the reality of life is that for those of us who ignore the good king, who choose to just go in our own way, the good king one day is going to say enough's enough. He's going to say enough's enough. See, God in in the Old Testament stories, why am I talking about the kingship so much? Because when you see what the kingship was like in Israel, you see how majestic Jesus is as king. He's unlike anything Israel has ever seen before. He's not demanding people to just give everything that they, he's giving. He's the generous one. He's not. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Where all the other kings were, do everything for me so that I can rest. Jesus is a king unlike anything we've ever seen. And we cannot mistake his compassion and his mercy and his grace as a license to not surrender to him. Because there's a cost. The good king one day, just like all of the Old Testament scriptures show us, that God eventually brings his judgment. And because he is a good king, Jesus will one day bring judgment. And that's what, this is what the judgment's going to look like. If you want to persist in living in evil, and you want to be someone that brings pain and suffering and death into my good kingdom, you're gone. But everyone who's willing to bow the knee... And say, I'll follow the way of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus welcomes you with open arms. He just invites you in. What kind of king is like this? We've never seen this before. Jesus breaks all of our categories. He's so full of compassion. He looks at the lowly. Can I just take you here for a minute? When Jesus showed up, he is king from the moment of conception. King of kings and Lord of lords. He didn't have to grow up to become king. He was God's anointed Messiah from the moment he was conceived in Mary's womb. He could have demanded absolute allegiance. He could have, as Jesus said, I can call down legions of angels to rescue me right now. But that's not the path that I'm going to take because I'm a good king. I'm not going to call down angels to wipe out my enemies. I'm going to let my enemies kill me so that I can show them the power of love. I can show them the true heart of God. When Jesus shows up, he doesn't show up to the prominent. He shows up to the humble and the meek. Amen. Those of you that came to service today, listen to me, those of you that walked into this house today feeling unworthy to be here, you're who Jesus would show up by. Amen. He'd come and sit down right by you. Amen. And he's not sitting down beside you to beat you over the head and said, do better. No. He's coming. to come on, child, get up. Let me show you the way of life. All you got to do is trust me. If you'll you'll lose what you think life is, and you'll just trust me, I'm telling you, you're going to find it. Mm. You're going to find everything you ever wanted. If you're here today and you feel unworthy, I want you to know you're in the best company ever. Mm. Because Jesus would show it to shepherds. And sheep. And a dirty old inn. That's how God entered our story. And you think he won't come visit you in your mess? No, he's not that kind of king. He's not the kind of king that says, hey, go get cleaned up. Go get cleaned up. Go bring a gift to me. No, he's the one who shows up saying, I've got everything you need. I don't need anything from you, but you need everything I've got. What kind of king is this? I submit to you today church that this is the only kind of king worth giving your complete and total allegiance to he's the only one herod saw a threat herod saw a threat and it determined his response I'm telling you this morning I also see a threat I know that Jesus is coming after me I know that Jesus is gonna challenge me. I know that Jesus is gonna confront me. I know that Jesus is a king who's going to pursue injustice, to, to rid it out of his world. Jesus is the type of king who's gonna track down every ounce of sin and eliminate it in my life. He's a threat to me. He's a threat to the things that I wanna hold on to because I think they're valuable. But he's a threat in the best way possible. Because when Jesus shows up and he says, hey, Tim, your pride is what's killing your marriage. Hear me. Tim, your pride is what's killing your marriage. I'm going to kill that in you. That's a threat. But it's the best threat ever. Because when he kills it in me, if if I lose my life to him, I'll find it. And he'll come in the midst of the death of my pride, and he'll bring restoration and life. Do you see that? He is a threat to us, but he's the best kind of threat. He's going to show up in my life, and he's going to say, Tim, that porn, you can't have that. You can't be in that mess. Tim, I'm going to kill that in you. And you know what? It hurt. I'm going to be honest with you. It hurt. But man, the life that I found when he killed it, the life that I found. Hey, Tim, that fear, that fear that you carry inside of you, I'm going to kill that fear. How's he going to do it? I don't know. He's probably going to let a lot of situations come that will make me fearful. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ever pray you want patience, you know, like just pro tip, pro tip. Here's what I love about King Jesus, is that everywhere that he brings death, he brings resurrection life. Here's what, here's what I love about King Jesus, is that he's never killing anything good in you. He's only killing that which is already trying to kill you. Jesus said, Jesus said if you'll lose your life for me, you'll find it. But if you try to hold on, you're going to lose everything. So many times... So many times in every one of our lives, if we just stop and we reflect on the moments that King Jesus showed up to kill something in us, how many of you regret that he did it? I've never got into the resurrection part of that moment and looked back and went, Jesus, I wish you wouldn't have killed that porn addiction in me. I just wish I still had that. Life was so good for me when I was addicted to this thing, and I'm just really disappointed you killed that in me. No, I've never felt that way, not once. The only thing I've ever felt is gratitude that he led me in the way of everlasting life. Right? Those moments of pride, I hated when he killed those because I felt so justified. God, you just, I earned this. How did, can I share a story? It's a funny story with you. Can I share a story with you? I used to work in the count room here. And then one day, yeah, Mary will Mary will validate this story for me. I used to work in the count room, and one day somebody else showed up in the count room. It was Sayla. I trained Sayla, and little did I know, Sayla was taking my place. (laughs) You're talking about like, what? Now, this was a long time ago, and I'll be honest with you. I'm not really sad that I'm not in the count room anymore. It's okay. But at the same time, I was like, Mary done did me dirty. Brought this girl in here and made me train my own replacement without telling me that's what was happening. That's messed up. It still stings a little. I I go home and I cry about it sometimes. And at the time, at the time, I'm just being honest with you. And and just, just for full transparency here, we love each other. And I was... We picked on each other a lot. I was much meaner to say than I was young and immature and whatever. But at the time, I was a little bit like, man, I needed this job, you know? Like, this is... But when I laid my pride down, God was able to say, look where I'm taking you, son. Look where I'm taking you. I don't want you in here doing this because I want you out here doing this. But it took me just going... and maybe for you, maybe, maybe there was a promotion or something that you were waiting for at work and you've been praying for. And, and God's just like, no, because that's not where I want you. But I need the money. And God's saying, you, you get it, though. Like, he, he's like, no, you don't. You need me. Because when the rich young ruler showed up and said, what's the one thing I lack? It was surrender. Yeah. He couldn't get past it. Man, I have great wealth. I got to give up a lot to go with you, Jesus. Yeah, you have to give up everything. Now, let me just, let me just ease everybody's conscience. Is Jesus going to show up and ask you to give up all your stuff and sell it and give it to the poor? I'm the poor, by the way, if anybody's questioning that. <laughs> Probably not, at least not today. But what if he did? What if he did? Because if he's truly king, then he has the right to come and demand it of you. But he's not that kind of king. He's the kind of king that invites you into what real life is. And sometimes it looks like complete surrender but it's a surrender built on the trust, knowing the kind of king that he actually is. That I don't have to fear this kind of king because he would rather die for me than kill me. He would rather pay my... He's the kind of king who would step out of glory and wrap himself in human flesh to come and pursue a lost person like me. That he would, he would get off of his throne... And he'd look at me and he'd say, he's he's harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And he's tore up and he's beaten and he's hurt. And I can't bear to sit on my throne and watch it. I'm going to get down there. I'm going to go show him how good I am. I'm going to show him how much I love him. I'm going to do everything necessary for him to have life again. It's going to cost him everything because he's got to trust me. And it's not going to feel natural to him because in the world in which he lives, violence is what rules. Violence and war and bloodshed and and pride, these are the things that seem to cause men to rise up and get what they want. And so he's going to have to trust me that there's a new way, there's a better way to find life. It's going to cost him everything, but I'm going to do everything necessary for him to have it. Because I love him that much. Church, he's the only king worth following. He's the only one. My question today to you, if the band would come back up and and just lead us into some worship. We're going to worship him like like Israel should have done when he was born, but the wise men had to do it, right? We're going to worship Jesus this morning to close out service. But I want to ask you. What do you see when you look at that baby in the manger? And I want to challenge you to see the King of kings and Lord of lords who who could demand your allegiance and your obedience. But chooses instead to invite you into a life with him. Where you do it willingly. Where you say, Jesus, I'll lay it all down at your feet. Whatever you ask of me. Whatever you, we sang it in one of the songs. I give you everything. You want my heart? You can have it. That's exactly what he's after. Is your heart. Herod saw the Savior and he saw a threat. I do too, but I see the best kind of threat, the one that causes me to empty me of myself so that I can find what life is really all about, and Jesus wants that for you today. Some of you here today, maybe you've never surrendered to Jesus. Maybe Jesus scares you. Maybe the news of Jesus is disturbing to you. Just like it was to Herod and all of Jerusalem. It was disturbing news that a new king was on the scene because they knew what it meant. But I want you to know that Jesus is the kind of king that only extends grace and mercy and love. He'll confront it. Don't mistake his grace and his mercy and his love for not confronting it. He's going to pursue that sin. He's going to pursue it. But he doesn't force you to comply. He opens opens up his arms to you and says, if you'll let me, I'll clean you up. Some of you today need to make the decision to say, I want to follow that king, the one who would rather die for me than kill me. I'll follow that king. Some of you need to make that confession of faith today that says, I'm going with Jesus. I see a king in that cradle, not just a baby in a manger. And some of us today, the Lord's been working on your heart already and leading you to a place of death. How exciting for Christmas. He's leading you to a place of death. Saying it's time for this thing in you to die you need to give it to me quit walking in it quit walking in that fear quit walking in that selfishness quit walking in that pride quit walking in that sin whatever it is the the king of kings is demanding that you lay it down today and you let him in and you let him do his good work because he's a good physician and he knows how to get it out of us and he will be faithful to do it and I can promise you just like I've seen many times and you ask anybody else in this sanctuary who's been following Jesus for a moment and they'll tell you every time Jesus brought me to a place of death there was always resurrection life on the other side and if I had the choice I wouldn't go back John, can I share what you shared with me yesterday morning? John shared this beautiful story with me yesterday and I thought this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard John had been living for Jesus for a while and he had just grown weary and doing good and he decided, I'm done with this. So John went to a bar, he sat down at the bar, he ordered a drink, he just so happens to look to his side and there's a woman sitting there, missing most of her teeth, she's looking pretty rough and she winked at John. And John said, Lord, you've delivered me once before, I'm not going back, brother, and John left and went and repented to the Lord. All it took was one memory of what that life was (laughs) for him to go, oh, yeah, never mind. That was. Some of you today, the Lord's given you that moment. Maybe you have grown weary. Maybe you have grown weary. And maybe today the Lord's just given you a glimpse of what he rescued you from. Don't go back there. So as we worship today, here's what we're going to do. The prayer team will be down here. If you would like somebody to pray with you, that's wonderful. If you today want to say, I want to give my life to King Jesus, I'm going to follow him. Now I don't even know what all that means yet. But I want to be in on what Jesus is doing. If he's giving life and eternal life, then I want to be where that's at. And I want to encourage you to come down. When You guys can go ahead and prayer team, you can go ahead and come down here so they can see who you are. I want you to grab one of these prayer team people and just say, I want to follow Jesus. How do I do that? And they will pray with you. And you can give your life to Jesus today. And if you're here and the Lord's been working on your heart saying, this thing's got to die in you, then I'm going to challenge you to actually come down to the altar. Come to the altar and lay it down. Why come to the altar? Why do I got to do that? That's embarrassing. Uh, No, it's not. But here's why. Here's why. I want you to do something physical and symbolic of what you're doing. That you're bringing it to the altar and you're saying, Lord, I'm laying it right here. This thing that you've been that you've been ministering to me about, this thing that you keep telling me he's got to die inside of me, I'm going to bring it right here and I'm going to leave it at your house. And I'm going to walk out and I'm not carrying it with me anymore. I'm making a choice today to surrender to Jesus. I'm giving you my all. You want my heart? You can have it. Here it is. I don't know how I'm going to make it, Jesus, but you're king and I can trust you. Amen. Would you guys stand to your feet? I want to pray over you as we lead and head into worship. Father, I just, uh, God, thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that Jesus is a good king. I just, God, I just thank you that he's a good king. I thank you that he loves us, that you love us so much, that Jesus would leave his, his glorious throne and he would enter into our mess. And he would pay the price for us, that he would go to the cross for us. A king crucified for his people. What kind of king is Jesus? help us to be willing to surrender to this king because he is a good king he doesn't demand our allegiance he asks for it, and he promises that if we give him all that we are he'll give us life eternal gotta pray today that people would have the courage to respond to Jesus and to surrender that we would not be like that rich young man who walked away sad because we couldn't bear to part with what we had gained for ourselves but, Father, we would, in humility, just say, Jesus, you can have every part of me because you're worthy. Because you are worthy. Father, for those that today will make the decision for the first time to follow Jesus, I pray that you would give them the courage to step out of that pew and walk down here and make it bold. Father, make it bold that they're going with Jesus. They're surrendering to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Church, let's just worship King Jesus for a few moments. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, the prayer team's down here for you. And then if you need to surrender something to the Lord, the altar is open for you as well. You can pray with them or you can just pray at the altar. But let's worship together for a few moments. You are worthy of it all.